We are all enrolled in a massive social experiment, whether we know it or not. Social media sites like Facebook and YouTube are in the business of keeping us on the website for as long as possible. Learning algorithms are tasked with maximizing the time we spend there. You and I are not the consumers of the Facebook product. We are not paying them anything at all. Why do they want us to keep scrolling through? alternatively liking and commenting on some content and disliking and arguing with other content. They don't care whether we like it or hate it, whether it pleases us or pisses us off. They only care that we give it our attention. An evolutionary model emerges where the algorithm's fitness to its environment is the time people spend on the site. More time, more fitness. We are not the consumers in this business model. We are the consumed. We are the product for sale. The consumers are the advertisers. What is it that the algorithms do? I can think of at least two ways to capture someone's attention. Entertain them or scare the hell out of them. Imagine a monkey in a cage which can be presented with various visual stimuli. In the experiment, an algorithm determines what stimulus to present and how often to present it. The measure of its success is how much time the subject, the monkey in this case, stares at a small screen on one wall of its enclosure. The algorithm has access to all the images on Google, all the videos on YouTube, and so forth. It has no prior knowledge or settings. It just operates by trial and error. Random pictures, random videos. At first, the monkey would probably be interested in what was occurring on the screen just because of its novelty. Something is happening over there. Let's have a look. Soon, though, the monkey will lose interest and largely ignore the screen. That is, until the algorithm stumbles upon a video of a coiling snake, or a circling hawk, or some other terrifying stimulus. Wouldn't you know it, the monkey is looking at the screen now. A week later, the monkey is hunkered in the back corner of its cage, staring directly at a screen which alternates between images of bananas and pit vipers. Clearly, the monkey is not being served by this, but I'll be damned if Dole isn't selling more bananas. You may recall that I talked about attention in a previous episode, episode 24, I talked about the distinction between top-down and bottom-up forms of attention. Focal attention is the first kind, top-down. We seem to have some measure of control over this kind of attention by means of the will. The other type is salience. It's bottom-up. It's a kind of capturing of us. It grabs us for deep, evolved reasons. This kind of attention shows up in the monkey's cage in the form of bananas and pit vipers. Saliency-driven attention occurs automatically. The salient object or event captures our attention at the expense of other possible objects or events. We haven't gone online to have our attention captured in this way, but nevertheless, that is what happens. Just one more brief video, please, and then I'm off to bed. Two hours later, we've fallen down some rabbit hole into true crime or conspiracy theory or pornography or propaganda. It plays upon our human nature at the expense of our human reason. The algorithm doesn't care if the propaganda pleases or amuses us. Damn right, this guy is telling it like it is. Or if instead it infuriates us. This asshole doesn't know what he's talking about. The algorithm has evolved only in terms of keeping our attention so that it can sell us products on behalf of its true customers. It can't be reasoned with. It can't be bargained with. It doesn't feel pity or remorse or fear. And it absolutely will not stop, ever, until you are dead. If you recognize that last bit, that's because it's from the Terminator. In The Principles of Psychology, William James said, quote, Everyone knows what attention is. It is the taking possession by the mind in clear and vivid form of one out of what seems several simultaneously possible objects or trains of thought, 
Unquote. It is clear that the conscious mind and the faculty of attention have some relationship to one another, but it is equally clear that the relationship is not one of identity. Attention has an impact on the contents of consciousness, often one piece of content in particular, the pit viper or the banana. Without focal attention, we could not read or follow someone's speech or see things as they are. In a bit, I'll share with you a neurological case that illustrates this. A classic paper by Anne Treisman and Gary Gallade introduced the feature integration theory of attention. In the 1980 paper, they wrote, quote, When we open our eyes on a familiar scene, we form an immediate impression of recognizable objects, organized coherently in a spatial framework. Analysis of our experience into more elementary sensations is difficult and appears subjectively to require an unusual type of perceptual activity. In contrast, the physiological evidence suggests that the visual scene is analyzed at an early stage by specialized populations of receptors that respond selectively to such properties as orientation, color, spatial frequency, or movement, and map these properties in different areas of the brain. The controversy between analytic and synthetic theories of perception goes back many years. The associationists asserted that the experience of complex wholes is built by combining more elementary sensations, while the Gestalt psychologists claim that the whole precedes its parts, that we initially register unitary objects and relationships, and only later, if necessary, analyze these objects into their component parts or properties. Unquote. In another section, Treisman and Gallade write, quote, in our model, which we call the feature integration theory of attention, features are registered early, automatically, and in parallel across the visual field, while objects are identified separately and only at a later stage, which requires focused attention. We assume that the visual scene is initially coded along a number of separable dimensions, such as color, orientation, spatial frequency, brightness, direction of movement. In order to recombine these separate representa representations and to ensure the correct synthesis of features for each object in a complex display, stimulus locations are processed serially with focal attention. Any features which are present in the same central fixation of attention are combined to form a single object. Thus, focal attention provides the glue which integrates the initially separable features into unitary objects. Once they have been correctly registered, the compound objects continue to be perceived and stored as such. However, with memory decay or interference, the features may disintegrate and float free once more, or perhaps recombine to form illusory conjunctions. We claim that without focused attention, features cannot be related to each other. This poses a problem in explaining phenomenal experience. There seems to be no way we can consciously perceive an unattached shape without also giving it color size, brightness, and location, yet unattended areas are not perceived as empty space. The integration theory therefore needs some clarification. Our claim is that attention is necessary for the correct perception of conjunctions, although unattended features are also conjoined prior to conscious perception. The top-down processing of unattended features is capable of utilizing past experience and contextual information. Even when attention is directed elsewhere, we are unlikely to see a blue sun in a yellow sky. However, in the absence of focused attention and of effective constraints on top-down processing, conjunctions of features could be formed on a random basis. These unattended couplings will give rise to illusory conjunctions." Unquote. What the hell are illusory conjunctions? I'm glad you've asked. This is from Christoph Koch's book, The Quest for Consciousness. He writes, quote, 
Binding a single object seems complicated enough, yet the brain faces an even more daunting challenge when confronted with multiple objects. In early topographical areas such as V1 and V2, edges, colors, and other primitives associated with objects located at different points in the scene are encoded in correspondingly different parts of the cortex. For the most part, there is no minimal overlap. But what about high-level ventral areas that have no apparent topographic order? Two spatially distinct objects will often have overlapping neuronal representations, creating the potential for confusion. Suppose you were looking at two dogs, a black German Shepherd with a red scarf around her neck and a white Kuvaz with a blue scarf. In brain areas representing colors and objects, at least four groups of neurons will be active, one for the German Shepherd, one for the Kuvaz, one for the red scarf, and one for the blue. How will the brain know, though, that the activity of the red scarf group goes together with the black dog group? All else being equal, the next stage could interpret this activity pattern as a black dog wearing a blue scarf, an illusion in other words. And indeed, such illusions do occasionally happen. Conjunction errors, confusing the attributes of one object with those of another one, occur when processing time is severely curtailed." Unquote. Koch goes on to explain that neuronal synchronization in time might be how the brain normally overcomes this difficulty. We have now brought into the discussion two related topics focal attention and binding. According to Treisman and Gallade's theory, focal attention is necessary for visual binding of features. I'd now like to return to Christoph Koch for a brief introduction to the concept of gist perception. Koch writes, quote, I drive as if on automatic pilot, while I concentrate on the music but not the scenery streaming past. Yet under these spaced out conditions, I am still conscious of the gently curving road ahead, a slow-moving truck in front of me a billboard off to the right, the overpass coming up, and so on. Although little studied in the laboratory, humans often wander through the world lost in thought. What I see is a gist, a high-level semantic representation of familiar scenes that can literally be apprehended in a flash. It's a vignette, a succinct summary of what it is in front of me, devoid of details, a crowd at a football game, a lone cyclist, a mountain. Gist might even include the fact that some animal is present without knowing its identity or location. I suspect that gist perception does not require focal attention. Neurons in the upper stages of the visual system may directly encode gist explicitly." Unquote. So I've now introduced three related topics to you. Focal attention, binding, and gist perception. As I said before that last quote, the feature integration theory of attention says that binding requires focal attention, but that gist perception does not. This suggests that focal attention and gist perception have different parallel mechanisms in the brain. Let's take a quick review of the evidence in favor of the theory. Five sets of experiments were reported in the paper. These experiments covered visual search, texture segregation, illusory conjunctions, identity and location, and inter interference from unattended stimuli. I'll tell you about some of them. The results show that much more time is required to find a target when more than one feature is required to distinguish it from distractors. When a single feature needs to be discriminated, the task is easy. An example is finding a red letter O among a lot of green O's, or a red O among red N's. When a conjunction of more than one feature is required for the task, it takes more time to achieve as a function of the difficulty of distinguishing between targets and distractors. Thus. A search for a red letter O among green O's and red N's takes time to find, but it takes still more time to find a red letter T among green T's and red X's. 
The cause is presumably that X's and T's are more similar to one another than are O's and N's. Subjects immediately perceive the gist of what they are shown, a field of different colors and letters. But according to Treesman and Gallade, it takes focused attention in a serial search to find the target among the distractors when there is a conjunction of multiple features to distinguish. Their results on texture segregation also show high speed when there is a single dimension feature, but a much longer delay in the case of conjunctions of features. When researchers briefly presented a display showing various shapes having various colors, subjects would often recall the shapes and colors they were shown, but not which shape was characterized by which color. This led to illusory conjunctions. These studies showed that a brief viewing of elements, say colored letters, presents as a gist to the subject consisting of letters and colors, but not their specific conjunctions. So you see how the feature integration theory of attention works, at least for visual scenes. We rapidly perceive a gist, but the binding of features requires focal attention. I'm inclined to consider the kinds of gist-like phenomenon that we perceive outside of the visual domain. Consider music. Complex music with weird time signatures and odd sequences of notes is difficult to appreciate. The gist is bad. If we want to appreciate it, we'll have to pay closer attention and discover what is happening in all of that noise. If we do learn to follow and understand it, we may come to adore it. What about episodic memories? We can recall a kind of gist, but I'm not sure that the details are anywhere to be discovered. Suppose you were recalling some event. You might say, I remember that Allison and Ben were there, and there was somebody else there, but I don't remember who it was. Someone else might query, well, what did they look like? You answer, I don't know. Clearly, you cannot look at and describe the person in question. There is nothing there to place your attention on. Dreams are like that, too. I have argued that attention of this kind, the sort where we move our attention from one object or thought to another, requires frontal cortical mechanisms analogous to those which direct voluntary limb movements. We know that the frontal cortex has much reduced activity during REM sleep. Maybe in dreams we experience gist in the absence of the capacity for focal attention. That would explain quite a lot. A person in a dream can shift and become a different person. The location where a dream experience takes place can become a different location. Perhaps the binding of features in the dream is unstable because we lack the ability to use focal attention. There are neurological conditions in which focal attention seems unable to take hold of certain aspects of perception. Unilateral neglect is a good example. In The Man Who Mistook His Wife for a Hat, Oliver Sacks tells us about Mrs. S., a woman who has suffered a stroke affecting the right hemisphere of her brain. Sachs writes, quote, She sometimes complains to the nurses that they have not put dessert or coffee on her tray when they say, but Mrs. S., it's right there on the left. She seems not to understand what they say and does not look to the left. If her head is gently turned so that the, the dessert comes into sight in the preserved right half of her visual field, she says, oh, there it is. It wasn't there before. She has totally lost the idea of left with regard to both the world and her own body. Sometimes she complains that her portions are too small, but this is because she only eats from the right half of the plate. It does not occur to her that it has a left half as well. Sometimes she will put on lipstick and make up the right side of her face, leaving the left half completely neglected. It is almost impossible to treat these things because her attention cannot be drawn to them, and she has no conception that they are wrong. She knows it intellectually and can understand and laugh, but it is impossible for her to know it directly." Unquote. Here in brief is an excerpt from a 2019 review paper by Shaul Hochstein. He writes, quote, In their studies of patients with unilateral neglect and Treisman and colleagues 
found that patients could find targets in the neglect field, but on average took longer to do so. Adding flankers that directed attention to the non-neglected side made it even more difficult to find neglect side targets, perhaps by keeping attention in the good side for a longer time. In contrast, flankers on the neglect side helped neglect side target search performance by directing attention there. In, her own, in our own studies, we found that patients with left side hemineglect have much more difficulty generally with conjunction search than with feature search, suggesting that their difficulty is with focused attention rather than with global attention that includes items on the left." Unquote. All of this suggests to me that conscious experience as we know it would be vastly impaired if we did not have the capacity for focal attention. This is an evolved cognitive tool that enables us to bind features into coherent structures. Its purpose is to help us successfully navigate the world. But the human brain did not evolve in the social media landscape. Natural-born heuristics can be exploited by entities that do not have our best interest in mind. Our strengths can be turned into weaknesses. We have already seen how human cravings for fat and sugar and salt can be exploited to sell us unhealthy food products. The saliency of these nutrients was calibrated on the ancient savanna, where such things were hard to come by. The results of this mismatch is physical illness. Now we are seeing the mismatch between our instinctual sensitivities to fear and disgust, curiosity and desire, and the information technologies that can target them. The result of this mismatch is mental illness, and it looks like we have all volunteered to participate. Take caution, my friends. The results of this experiment are not yet tabulated.